Figure Out. I'm your host, Nihal Qatar. Usually I'm joined by my brother, Sahil, but today we actually have our first ever guest in the podcast history. We have on Bobby Corrala, the digital content manager for the Dallas Mavericks. He creates content for them over on YouTube and Twitch, uh, also at, at MavStudio41 on Twitter. He also has his own Twitter account as well. We'll put the link to all those in the description down below, so make sure you go check him out. If you have thoughts about this episode or questions or insight you want to send to us, make sure you email us at clearoutpodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you guys. We had a listener question for Bobby today. You can also follow us at clearoutpod on Twitter, but without further ado, I do hope you enjoy the interview. All right, we got Bobby Corolla on the line. Bobby, how you doing today? I'm good, man. Thank you for having me. How are you? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing well as well. Before we get into the Mavericks, where can people find you and find your work rather? Uh, so, so people can find me anywhere online, man. I'm just, I'm terminally, perpetually on the internet. <laughs> uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's just at Bobby Corella. Uh, but most importantly, I'm doing stuff with, uh, with the Mavs, for the Mavs on their YouTube channel. Uh, with a production studio called Studio 41. So we're making you know highlights, uh, analytical XO breakdowns, some entertaining stuff too. So it's all on the Mavs YouTube channel, the Mavs Twitch channel. That's definitely where I'd, I'd hope people go. Yeah, you know, you also, I don't know if you know this, but you show up in the BR Live app quite a bit uh, for like oh, Mavericks do I? time. Oh, really? Yeah, my, my dad loves that. So when we're watching like Bucks Mavs games, I always see your tweets and I'm like, hey, I, I know that dude. <laughs> Well, uh, it's good to know. I, I actually did not know that, but it's good to know that, yeah. that I end up there too. Yeah, absolutely. First thing, obviously, the biggest news in the last few weeks uh, is the Mavs traded for Kyrie Irving. What's the buzz like in Dallas around the team? How are fans responding to this? Is it overwhelmingly positive? Is it mixed? How, how do you see the fans reacting to this? Yeah, I mean, purely from the, a basketball standpoint, people are overjoyed. You know, like the I'm not sure how up to speed you are with the Mavs fan base, but uh, recently a disgruntled fan painted a, a Send Luca Help mural in Deep Ellum, which is kind of an, an artsy <laughs> bar neighborhood in Dallas. Yeah, I mean, fans are very, very vocal here about the Mavs' need for another superstar. They need, you know, to send Luca some help, put some more talent around him. He's a one-man team and all this stuff. And so pretty much out of nowhere, uh, they just trade for Kyrie Irving on a Sunday afternoon. And it's like, okay, well, the Mavs just traded for maybe the like the third or fourth best player that they've ever had. Just out of the blue, they got him. And, uh, you know, they gave up Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith in a pick. But in today's era, you trade for a superstar, you're giving up, like, everything you got. And so I think the fact that they they got that player at the price that they got him for uh, people are just really, really stoked, you know, and he, he made his, his debut a couple days after that, and they won two games uh, without Luka that he played in, and so that was another huge thing because to that point in the season, the Mavs had won zero games this season when Luka didn't play. Uh, so just all in all, you know, on the court, people are completely thrilled now. Off the court, obviously, <laughs> that's that's another story, but uh, purely from a basketball standpoint, I mean – the the sky is the limit for what these guys can do, and I'm just really really excited to see kind of you know how they come out of this break and and how they can kind of rally around each other and and uh, try and make the playoffs down the stretch here. No, I, I like what you said about you know they they, they gave up a lot. I mean, Dorian Finney Smith probably the most important wing defender on the team, um, and Spencer Dinwiddie obviously. You know, you're getting Kyrie back, so it seems like that's definitely worth it. Uh, for me, like hanging on to Josh Green, and we'll get to him a bit, is, is huge because I love Josh Green. 
you did a great video breakdown on Josh Green early in the season on, on YouTube. So you you guys should definitely go check that out uh, if you haven't seen that before. Um, Thank you. You know, we saw, I think we've seen one game with, with Luka and, and Kyrie so far since the trade. I think a lot of people point to that last possession where they're kind of passing back and forth. For me, I feel like that, they're going to work that out, right? Kyrie has a lot of experience playing off ball with LeBron. Um, and obviously, you know, there's Kevin, he played on a team with Kevin Durant and James Harden as well. I do, I think there's a big question of, can Luka play off ball? I mean, we haven't really seen that since Real Madrid days or, uh, um, you know, I think he might've played a little bit off ball for, for Slovenia when he was younger. Um, how, how do you see that backcourt transition going forward? Um, I guess ultimately, do you think it can work with both of them in the backcourt? They're obviously both great players, great offensive players. Is there a reason for concern, or or do, do you see this working out well? Uh, I don't really see any concern. You know, going back to last season, now the Mavs had three of these guys. They had Luca, Jalen Brunson, and Spencer Dinwiddie. Now they they rarely played all at once, but generally their philosophy after the Porzingis trade, when they got Dinwiddie, from that point until they lost in the conference finals, was basically whether it's Luca or Brunson or Dinwiddie, whoever the guard is that has the ball in their hands. They're going to go mismatch hunting on offense. And so if, you know, the other team's got their best defender on Luka, well, hey, can Luka get a favorable switch? If not, swing it over to Jalen Brunson and let Brunson cook his guy or at least try to. And so I think that they can kind of do that same exact thing with Luka and Kyrie because you look around the, the whole NBA, really, there are a few teams maybe that have a guard stopper that can maybe cause Kyrie problems. And there's a few teams that have guys that do cause Luka problems too. But there's zero teams that have guys that can guard both of them. And so Dallas will always have a favorable matchup to exploit or at least target on the offensive end. And so I think that both guy, both of those guys, like you said, Kyrie's got a ton of experience playing with LeBron uh, and you know Kevin Durant too, to a degree. Even though I think Luka, his offensive game is a little more like LeBron's than KD's. But you know Kyrie's got a wealth of experience. For Luka, this is kind of new for him. So I, I do feel like there will be some adjusting. You know, he's... Played a little bit off the ball uh, in terms of just like watching Brunson or watching Dinwiddie go to work. He's done a little bit of posting up and, you know, some off ball stuff to get him a clean catch going downhill. But for the most part, he's been the Mavs point guard, bringing the ball up the floor, initiating almost everything, responsible for like 60 to 70 percent of the points the team scores whenever he's on the floor whether he's scoring it himself or passing it to somebody. And so it will be a little bit of an adjustment for him. But I think in that Minnesota game, that, that the first game they played together at home, Dallas is down like 25 points. It was brutal, you know. And then all of a sudden, Kyrie just went nuclear mm-hmm. for 26 points in the fourth quarter. And I think Luka seeing that up close and like being a part of that and being willing to let Kyrie keep going, you know, just sort of get out of his way. I think that's a really, really good sign that he was able to recognize that in the moment. Like, oh, he's hot. Let's make sure he keeps shooting it. Like, I'm, I'm happy to take a backseat. I feel like the, the fact that he was showing that so early makes me pretty optimistic that they'll be able to find a, a really good balance between the two. Absolutely. Um, he, you know, I think one of the most important things here is you're all in the playoffs, at least, you're pretty much always going to have either Luka or Kyrie on the court. And that's totally new. Uh, in the Mavs experience. Obviously, Brunson was great last year, but it's not its not the same level. Um, yeah, different caliber of player, man. Absolutely. Different caliber. Absolutely. Um, switching to the defense, I'm sure like you've had to talk about the defense a lot when people ask you about if you're doing radio hits and such, uh, when people are talking about the Mavs. You know, 
Dorian Finney-Smith, you can argue, was the most important defender. He's gone. In my opinion, at least, it seems like Reggie Bullock has taken a step back maybe this year as opposed to last year when he was really solid on, on defense. In the playoffs, who do you think is the most important wing defender on this team? Who's the most important wing defender now that Dorian is gone? Mm-hmm. Dude, I love Dorian so much. I was legitimately <laughs> sad awesome. for like two hours after they did that trade. Yeah, he's so cool um, and very good. But their most important wing defender now is also their most their most important rim protector. That's Maxi Kleba. Mm-hmm. He's been out since like mid December, um, and he missed a, he misses a lot of time every year. You know, he's kind of had some knee issues, back problems. Uh, I think some foot issues throughout his career, and he's like 30, 31. So, you know, getting up there a little bit, and he's missed some time. But, you know, if you watch the Mavs playoff run last year, you know how valuable he was, not only as a big man, because he was giving them basically like 30 to 35 minutes a night at center, but he can also switch onto wings and even onto some guards, you know, maybe not like Dame or Steph, these really quick guys that you got to chase around the perimeter, but he can switch and guard people like, you know, Giannis or James Harden, or LeBron, you know, these bigger, stronger Kawhi, uh, Paul George, people like that, that that have a little more size, maybe play a little slower, he can guard them. Uh, And now, like, the, if you're trying to, to, you know, envision a path to the finals through the West, you have to think, okay, who do do the maps have that can guard anybody on the Suns? And (laughs) Reggie Bullock, I thought, did a really good job against Chris Paul last year, and a pretty good job against Devin Booker, which would leave maybe Maxi Kleba or maybe Josh Green, who is, he's becoming a little bit of a stud. You know, one of those two guys or both of them is going to have to guard KD. And, you know, that is a huge, huge problem. So I think their most important wing defender is probably Maxi. Then Reggie Bullock behind him, just because he can soak up so many minutes. And then Josh Green, you know, he's like newly inserted into the starting lineup now that Finney Smith is gone. And, you know, Luca missed some time. So Josh was getting a ton of minutes before that too. But now that he's a starter, now that he's going to be expected to play like 30, 36, sometimes 40 minutes in a game down the stretch, if he can respond well and keep playing with the level of energy that he does whenever he usually comes off the bench and can just run like crazy for like eight minutes and then sub out, you know, and sit out till the next half. If he can play with that level of manic energy for 32 minutes a game, then maybe the most important wing defender is him. But until then, in my opinion, it's Maxi Kleba. Yeah, you know, uh, Jackson Frank... Uh, for SB Nation, just did a really nice article on Josh Green. I mean, it's not only offense, um, or it's not only defense. The defense is four and a half points better per 100 possessions when he's on the court. So, I mean, he has obviously made an impact on defense. He's shooting 41% from three. He's big in transition. Is is this, I mean, you're obviously really plugged in with the Mavericks. Uh, you watch them every single night. Was this an expected step for Josh Green, or, or has this been like a complete surprise for you guys? It was definitely expected that he'd be able to be a rotation player, which last season, I mean, even that's like not a super high threshold, right? Like, can you just play 15 minutes a night? Last year, the answer toward the back half of the season was yes. But once we reached the playoffs, it was kind of like, oh, my God, you know, he's kind of afraid to shoot. Utah was completely ignoring him. Phoenix pretty much ignored him the whole series. And then he barely played at all, you know, for the rest of the postseason after that. And so, you know, the the big missing piece for him, in my opinion, was purely all confidence. You know, he he could shoot the ball, he can run the floor, he can uh, defend multiple positions, play with a ton of energy, crash the glass at both ends of the floor very well. He's a really good passer, but the 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 last thing 
that was missing, the only step forward he needed to take in his game, in my opinion, was just believing that he was good. You know, being willing to step into a shot, being willing to take his guy off the dribble. If Luka's double teamed and you get the ball, are you going to freeze or are you going to make a quick decision? You know, and and that kind of stuff, the mental aspect of the game, he is just completely, it's it's night and day compared to last year. Just completely different player on the floor. Uh, he looks like he believes he belongs out there. He looks like he believes he's very good and he's playing with it. And it's not just like he's he's not just productive, right? Like he's got like a little bit of a, a swagger about him. You know, he got into it with KD earlier this season. He's one of the only Mavs not named Luka to have picked up a technical foul this season. Like he, he gets a little chirpy out there and a little chippy and he gets physical and fouls hard and plays hard. And, uh, you know, that gives such an energy boost to this team because otherwise Dallas usually plays such a slow, plodding brand of basketball. Luka walking up the floor, getting everybody into position and then going to work. Josh is really the only guy up until they got Kyrie that can just completely dominate a defense in the open floor. Uh, just take the top off the defense in transition. And, uh, you know, that's that's been a huge uh, efficiency boost, too. But, yeah, I mean, all the on-off stuff with him is so favorable Offensive rating, defensive rating, a lot of like the four-factor stuff is good too for him. Uh, and now to the point where like I'm confident rolling him out for 35 minutes a game in, mm-hmm. in a playoff series, uh, which I was not expecting to be the case, you know, even like two or three months ago. But the one kind of final uh, final frontier for him is can you defend those really, really star, superstar level, high-level players without committing a bunch of ticky-tack fouls? And he's still only like 22, so I don't expect him to get that for another couple years. But that's like the last thing. If you want to use your body, if you want to take some gambles, if you want to crash the boards hard at both ends, can you do that without just going a little too far and, you know, picking up three fouls in the first half? So that's kind of the last thing. But otherwise, man, I've been been so, so impressed by what he's done this season. He is one of my favorite, like, under-the-radar players to watch on League Pass. Because, I mean, he's not, you might look at his numbers and think, oh, he's like a 3 and D guy, but he's so athletic. He can take the, he can put the ball on the floor and take it to the hoop. Um, and like I, like I said, and like you said, he's really, really good in transition. Yeah, as let well. me, let me ask you this, actually. Yeah. I want to, I want to get an outsider opinion on this sure. because for so long, you know, like fans were kind of low on him and then you see flashes and you're like, okay, if he, if he pans out, he can be this player. And for so long. Mavs fans kind of agreed on one guy, and I'm curious now that you've seen him for a whole year, what who do you think or, or what kind of archetype or prototype do you think he can become? Like if he pans out, reaches his full potential. Wow, an archetype. I mean, I think there are so few three and D players that have the freedom to to play like he has. Uh, if that makes sense, I think a lot of guys yeah. are kind of pigeonholed into into their role. He kind of reminds me of like a mini Jason Tatum. I don't think he'll be that good because, um, you know, Jason Tatum's a top 10 player in the NBA. But I think there's a lot of he, he has his skill set kind of reminds me of him. Uh, Jason Tatum obviously has a really high shot point. Like it's almost impossible to guard him. But as far as guys who can be three level scorers and play elite defense, like that's the first name that comes to mind. I'm, I'm curious who who do fans compare him to? The Mavs fans. Well, so before it's that's a very impressive answer and shows how far we've come because before the season started, now this guy's an incredible player too, yeah. you know, maybe a Hall of Famer. But before the season, fans were like, Man, if he can reach his ceiling, he could be like a poor man's Andre Iguodala. Oh, you know, that's actually uh, really a really good wing, comparison. Yeah. 
Yeah, high-level defender, a wing with ball skills that can run the floor. Mm-hmm. But now, man, I mean, Iguodala at his peak was like a borderline all-star caliber player. Green is displayed like like what you're saying, dude. Green can drive the lane, and he finishes like 65, 70% at the rim. He scores 62% on his drives. He's shooting 40-plus from three. Like, Iguodala was never that efficient from anywhere on the floor, and he never really had that three-point shot in his bag. And so it's like, I don't know. Like, it feels like Green is going to bust out of the 3 and D sort of, uh, you know, if you want to call it an archetype or almost like a label. It's like a kiss of death calling a guy a 3 and D player because it's it implies that they're limited on offense. He's got a really advanced skill set, so... I don't know. I, I don't know how many players we've seen like him before. Like maybe like shorter Blake Griffin, mm. like at, in the in his Pistons days, like whenever he wasn't a super athletic freak, but he could still make passes and, and operate and kind of almost be like a pseudo point guard. But they're just I haven't seen many players like him before. Right. And, and that's why I say Jason Tatum. Like I said, Jason, he's not. I mean, he could be. Josh Green, I guess, could be. I'm a Bucks fan. You know, we know growth is not linear. Uh, Giannis is has such a unique path to greatness that being said like i don't think josh green is going to be a jason tatum level player but it would be sick if he was yeah i mean well if you got Kyrie, luca jason tatum i mean (laughs) (laughs) you could be the best team in the nba but you're right it's so hard to compare him one for one for anybody that like that is just the first name that came to my mind because man he's got such a cool skill set if any of you guys out there, if you have not been watching the Mavs and now you're going to because Luka and Kyrie are there, definitely watch uh, watch out for Josh Green. I think he he's gonna he has been playing even more minutes. He's gonna continue to play more minutes. You have two now elite you know floor tilters, I guess on on this on this on the floor. He's gonna have space to operate. It's gonna be really fun to watch him continue to grow. Um, I really like what you said about. Uh, Kleba, uh, I mean, he's he's missed some time. He's so integral to this defense. And I, I was just looking, you know, through cleaning the glass, and I saw this lineup of Doncic, Green, Hardaway, Kleba, and Christian Wood are like plus 31. Obviously, really small sample size, um, but they have a 109 defensive rating. So it just got me thinking, like, what do you think is the closing lineup? What do you think is the best defensive lineup uh, the Mavs can put out there? A- and maybe including Kyrie, because, I mean, Kyrie's going to close, right? So if you have Luka, if you have Kyrie, who are the other three guys in the final four minutes of the game you want on uh, uh, playing? Um, and let, let's look at let's look at the teams we're playing in the West. So uh, teams like the Clippers, uh, Suns. You don't you don't necessarily need to play with two bigs. Um, so yeah, well, what do you think? Yeah, I mean that's that's the tough part because even going back to the KP days, you know, and this was like Luka KP year one. So we're talking 2019-20. Mm-hmm. the team kind of had this hunch that KP and Maxi were going to be really good together. And they were for a while. And then they kind of like fell off a little bit, but then they were always good after that. Like in 2021, 21, 22, mm-hmm. Maxi was always really good playing next to another big. He was always really good playing uh, next to Dwight Powell off the bench in 2017, 18. In fact, they were so good together in 2017, 18 that the Mavs had to stop playing them together because they were trying to get Luka. And so, like, Maxi has always been really good playing alongside another big. Um, offensively, if he's your five and you surround him with wings, that's fantastic. You can play five out. Luka and Kyrie have all sorts of space to work, and you're going to score a bajillion points per 100 possessions. And Christian Wood can sort of fit into that 
offensively because he's another stretch big. And mm-hmm. so you just have all sorts of spacing. But defensively, I'm not really sure why Maxie and Wood have worked together so well defensively this year. Now, it is a you know, small sample. Maxie only played like a month and a half without getting before he got hurt. But they were dominant. I think part of that is because they played against backups a lot. And that's always going to help. Those are two starting caliber players. Maxie is like a, you know, at his best, he's like a borderline all defensive team kind of player. Wood, maybe not so much, but he can get you buckets on the other end of the floor, Mm -hmm. you know, and Maxie can protect Wood. But closing games in the playoffs, if it started right now, if you're playing Phoenix, you got to deal with Chris Paul, Booker, KD, Aiton, you know, TJ Warren or whoever the fifth player is going to be. Former future Mav Terrence Ross, you know, is on Phoenix now. (laughs) Um, I think you got to go, yeah, Luke and Kyrie, like you said, Josh Green has got to be out there. And then I think it depends that fourth spot, if you go Reggie Bullock or Tim Hardaway Jr. or Christian Wood, maybe matchup dependent, but then also game situation dependent. So if the Mavs are playing from in front, I think you need Bullock out there for defense. If you're trying to come back, I mean, Bullock is a really good shooter, but maybe you put Tim Hardaway Jr. out there because that guy can just go Nova, mm-hmm. you know, at the drop of a hat. Mm-hmm. I think in your in your five spot, you got to have Kleba. He's that good. He's that important, and he's that valuable. But it, it does depend. You know, if you're going if you're going up against Denver in the first round, you know Kleba does sometimes kind of get overwhelmed by Jokic, um, and you'd need to send double teams. Maybe you put Powell out there, Javale McGee out there. But then obviously you're losing a lot on offense. So I th- I think they have a lot of options. None of them are perfect. Um, but that Maxi and Wood duo, you know, I'm I'm glad that you were able to spot that because that's been something they they were like really, really insistent on keeping those two guys together on the floor, if at all possible, all the time uh, before Maxi went down. And, you know, I, I'm presumably he'll be able to play very soon here. And so I would expect that duo to be uh, wreaking havoc again off the bench. Yeah, no, it, it, that, that really caught my eye because that's such an interesting lineup that, you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't think would have. I mean, when I think Christian Wood, I do not think defense. So I, that was really impressive to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think some of that has to do with the way they stagger their rotations. Luke is playing the entire first quarter and the entire third quarter, and usually like the final like six to nine minutes of the second and the fourth quarter. And so you know, you bring in Luca or you keep him in the game. Usually, the other team is deep inside their bench with like the final two or three minutes of the first and the third. The Mavs are bringing in Christian Wood and Max Kleb off the bench and giving Luca all sorts of space to just cook all your backups one by one, just systematically just annihilate your defense. And so even though they only play for maybe like two or three minutes at a time, they're usually ending the quarter on like an 11 to four blitz. And, you know, you do that enough times, you're going to, you're going to win a lot of games. No, actually that makes sense. That's really good perspective. Um, I mean, who, who is the best rim protector on this team? Do you think, is it Kleba? Um, really, really strong air conditioning that can maybe <laughs> blow the ball off the glass. I mean, so, Maxi is, it's, it's a tough question. <laughs> I mean, so I guess I'm assuming then the answer is Dwight Powell isn't enough to be like a rim, your primary rim protector. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they like, they like having Dwight out like kind of close to the level of the screen, not totally like switching, but they like him out like closer to the action. I think their best rim protector is Maxi, but as someone that watches the Bucks all the time, yeah, you'll probably know what I mean by this. Like, Maxi is a rim protector in the way that Giannis is. He's gonna like swoop in from the weak side like or sort of like safety. cover a lot of ground. Yeah, okay. he's not like. I mean, he can be your your back line, right? Like, he can be the guy 
that you funnel the ball handler into and everything, but he's way better as sort of that roaming guy that's going to fly in at the last second and just send your thing into the third row. Gotcha. Well, you know, Serge Ibaka's out there, so something to <laughs> Yeah, that, so is LaMarcus Aldridge, apparently. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, interesting. Um, I mean, speaking of buyout guys, the Mavs brought in Justin Holiday. I mean, do you see him being a factor at all in the playoffs, at least defensively? He can shoot. How do you see him fitting into this Mavs rotation? Yeah, I mean, he can shoot from the corner. And if you can do that, you know, Luka loves finding those corner shooters. And the Mavs love taking them. They take more than any other team in the league. And so, you know, Holiday can kind of do the Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith thing where you're just defending, you're switching, you're covering the toughest guy. And then at the other end, you're kind of chilling in the corner and waiting for that Luka kickout pass. I think the more interesting question is if it's him or if it's Markeith Morris or if it's both. Like, Morris isn't, like, a huge guy, but he does have positional size, mm. whereas Justin Holiday is, like, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he's listed, I think, at 180. And so, you know, he's got really long arms, 7-foot wingspan, but he he doesn't, like, have that, that thickness or that bulk that you need to defend a guy like Kawhi or LeBron, you know, or Aaron Gordon or some of these other, like, bigger wings that you're going to need to slow down in order to get through the playoffs. And so... I think having both of those guys is good. Now, I'd be curious to see if the Mavs could find a lineup to get both of them on the floor because that's a lot of defense. That's a lot of uh, positional size in that case because you're playing Holiday in that way at like the two or the three instead of the three or the four. So that could be good. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I mean, Dallas is really, for a team that at the beginning of the year had a ton of positional size, you know, Dinwiddie is 6'5", Dorian Finney-Smith like 6'7", 6'8", arms for days. After that Kyrie trade, they got a lot smaller, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so they got to find a way to, to get a little more beef on the floor. Otherwise, they're going to keep getting bullied by these bigger wings, and they're also going to keep getting bullied on the glass. And that's been two sore spots for them recently. Gotcha. No, that makes sense. Um, I, I mean, I also noticed looking through cleaning the glass that the Mavs give up uh, the most points per play in transition and the highest percent percentage of transition buckets in the NBA which is obviously not a good combo. Why, why do you think that is? And is that something that's fixable, do you think, going into the playoffs? You can fix everything by working a little harder, I think. But it's I think it's like a their defense is sort of at the mercy of their offense. Um, you think of the way the Mavs spread the floor. You know, they're putting Luka and Kyrie up top. You got your roll man rolling to the basket. And then you got your Bullock and Josh Green or Justin Holiday, Markeith Morris or Tim Hardaway Jr. Those guys are in the corner. And those are your best athletes. They're your best defenders. They're the guys that are going to typically pick up the ball in transition and do the dirty work. But they have the most ground to cover to get back because they're ending the possession in the corner. And if you look at uh, like PBP stats, for example, which does like points per possession based on prior event, the Mavs, after they score or after they like make a free throw or after a dead ball, they're like a top half defense in terms of pace, in terms of point per possession and everything. Like they're like pretty good, but uh, off a missed three, off a missed layup, off a missed free throw, they're like dead last in every single one of those categories. And I think part of that is because of the way they space the floor. Part of that is just effort. But I think there's, there's one other thing that's kind of tougher to measure too, which is, you know, Luca his kind of whole offensive approach and and the Mavs philosophy as a team is to target the mismatch. And typically that means getting Luca matched up on the other team's best player. And if you do that, that's great because Luca's going to get a good shot or create a good shot for his teammates. But that also means if they miss, 
going back the other way, now all of a sudden Luke is guarding Steph or Luke is guarding Dame or Luke is guarding KD or one of these superstars, and that's really bad. You know, you don't <laughs> want that to be the case. So I think it's a little bit of the way they space the floor. It's a little bit of their approach, and, and also a whole lot of it is effort. I mean, they just they have to be better at getting back because, you know, you give up like – 12 or 14 fast break points that you easily could have avoided in a game. I mean, that with with as many close games as they've lost this year, that is a huge, huge problem to address. Yeah, it certainly is concerning. But, I mean, I guess it's a good thing that you think effort's uh, at least a part of it. I mean, if that will definitely go up in the playoffs. So, um, I don't, I don't want to spend the entire time talking about Dallas's defense. You mentioned the speed in which Kyrie plays and how Josh, the speed in which Josh Green was playing before Kyrie got there. H- how does Kyrie help the transition offense? Well, you can just get the ball up the floor really quickly, mm-hmm. you know, and, and for a guy, he's like six, one, six, two, he gets a lot of rebounds, you know, and, and if he's pulling down a defensive rebound, then it's just off to the races. You know, typically unless you're like Josh Green or maybe Tim Hardaway jr. If you're a mass player, you get a rebound. You are, instantly looking for Luca just instantly and then Luca's going to trot it up the floor hey make sure hey you get in the corner okay now no you go to the right corner no no Dorian get out of the way Dorian go to the right corner and then you get the floor space and all of a sudden you only have nine seconds left in the shot clock to do something you know Kyrie can just turn nothing into something all the time or at least get the ball up the floor earlier in the possession to where instead of having 10 seconds to break down the defense, you have like 17 seconds to break down the defense. And and that does make a huge difference uh, if, you know, over the course of 100 possessions in a game and 82 games in a season. So, you know, Luca is like the best at what he does probably in the world and, and one of the best of all time, just half-court offense. He is a complete and just complete sage, a complete mastery of half-court offense. But with that comes a complete kind of like just ignoring, neglecting of, of transition offense. And so if Kyrie can just get a couple extra buckets per game in transition, make Luca work a little less, up the tempo a little bit, keep feeding guys, maybe get a couple lobs out of it, get the juice flowing a little bit, uh, the blood pumping, then I think that could help them on defense too. Because right now, I mean, every single offensive possession for them is kind of like a science project, you know? Like they got the answer, but it's like solving a complicated math problem or like finding – you know, uh, you're, you're like splitting atoms on offense every single time. It's very arduous. Uh, you know, it, it just takes a, a, a very long time and it, it's kind of slow. And it's sort of all of a sudden you're like, you're so impressed watching Luca play basketball and break down his man. That's like, oh my God, I need to get back on defense right now. LeBron is dunking, you know? So I think just getting a little more pace, keeping everybody on their toes a little bit more, I think will have a better effect on the defense too. I actually, I hadn't considered that. That's That's really interesting and definitely... Definitely something I'll be looking at going forward if that does help the defense. Um, so do you see like a Luka Kyrie two-man game being a big part of the offense going forward? Um, or is it just going to be like a possession-by-possession possession basis, do you think? I can see a little bit of both. You know, Dallas doesn't really run a lot of set plays. Since they got Kyrie, they've actually run way more than they did beforehand. I mean, they're running him like off, off zipper screens. They're doing some pinch post stuff. Um, you know, a little bit of off-ball action. They're using Dwight Powell as kind of this like pivot man at the top of the top of the key, kind of like how Phoenix used to use DeAndre Ayton like before they got Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. And so that's interesting because you're introducing a lot more off-ball movement into the offense. And even if 
in those instances, even if Kyrie and Luca aren't directly involved in the play with each other, like Kyrie's not screening for Luca or Luca's not screening for Kyrie, you're still doing something away from Luca. You know, you can't have all five eyes trained on 77. You got to worry about Kyrie Irving too, who's cutting, you know, and then you got a backdoor cut coming off of that and you run some split stuff. Like you're just doing things um, away from the ball, which is really good. So I think eventually you're going to get to the point where Luca will either because he wants to or because he's being told to. I think Luca's going to set more ball screens for Kyrie, and that should just open up a, a world of options uh, for for both players coming off of that very simple action, uh, and makes it to where it's impossible to double team either guy. And uh, you know, but it it does take a little bit to figure out the steps to that dance. And they, you know, until today, they hadn't practiced together a single time since the trade. So. You know, uh, six straight games at home, no back-to-backs coming up. I would suspect over the next week or two, you're going to see a lot more uh, creative interplay between those two guys on offense, more than just the my turn, your turn thing. But hey, the my turn, your turn thing has worked really, really well uh, throughout both of their careers. And so I'm cool with seeing that too. But I I think we're going to see a little more creativity over the next couple weeks. My next question was going to be is, do you think Luca will turn or will will screen more? Um, I mean, because we see, you know, I think one of the more successful, I don't even really know if you can call it a play, but one of the more successful actions that the Mavericks have done, especially when Luka's being doubled at the point of the screen, is that short roll, and they have they usually have a guy open in the corner. Um, I mean, if Luka can be the roller in that situation, or the screener, rather, I mean, that would be that would be phenomenal for the Dallas offense, I think, and open up just a whole new world of possibilities. Yeah, I mean, teams like, you're going to put your best guard defender on Kyrie, but your best guard defender is probably going to be like 6'2", you don't want that guy switched on to Luca exactly. because Luca, you know, I haven't looked at this recently, but Luca over the last like three years has been the best or like a, the top three best post-up players in the NBA. He is going to destroy that guy. And so teams are going to have to do something. They're either going to switch or they're going to have to blitz Kyrie or whatever. If Luca's your screener and then it just comes down to, yeah, Luca picking out the open guy in the corner. I mean, if Dwight Powell can do it, if Maxi Kleba, Dorian Finney-Smith, Tim Hardaway, if those guys can do it, then yeah, I I trust Luca uh, with my life to run a four on three on offense every time down the floor. So that I think is the the easily the most spammable action to run. Kyrie with the ball, Luca with the screener, to get either a wide open corner three every single time, or give Kyrie just a gaping driving lane because Luca's defenders is way too terrified to step away from him, and and Kyrie's able to turn the corners to get a clean look at the rim. Absolutely. Uh, I really, I really do hope that's something that he adds, uh, you know, to to his game and, and to this offense. Um, all right, so last thing here, we did have a listener question from Pranov. Um, the question is, will the Mavs have serious championship odds with Kyrie? I mean, let's reframe it. What do you think is the ceiling this season for the Mavs? Do you think they can win a championship? How, how do you see this these this back end of the regular season and playoffs going for the team? And as Michael Jordan said, the ceiling is the roof. I, I think, like, <laughs> in a series, right, is you usually say the best player is has the best chance to win, right? Mm-hmm. So, and last year, Luka was the best player in that Sun series. He was the best player in the Jazz series. And before it was Luka, it was Jalen Brunson. And so the Mavs won both of those series, and it was great. And then all of a sudden, you know, Steph was just really, really good, and Jordan Poole and the Warriors had way too much talent. But this year, you know, you look out west right now, outside of Phoenix – and I guess Denver with Jokic, 
there's like a pretty good chance that the Mavs might have the two best players in any series, uh, or certainly two of the top three players in every series that they'll play. And so you have that much top level talent, you're going to give yourself a chance. But I think the, you know, as much as we want to say that the NBA is star driven and that winning is all based on your alphas and all that stuff this year, more than ever, because the Mavs are going to be rolling out some relatively unproven players alongside those guys. Josh Green never really played meaningful playoff minutes. Christian Wood never appeared in a playoff game, period. Wow. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. was injured for last season's playoff run. He didn't play at all. Now, he's been in a couple first-round series with the Mavs against the Clippers, but that's it You know, during his time in Dallas. A lot more questions this year, you know, and, and an arguably shallower bench than they even had last season whenever it was basically Spencer Dinwiddie, and that's kind of it. Well, Dinwiddie's gone now, you know, so there are a lot of questions, but they have two guys that can get you a lot of answers, pull them right out of thin air. And so I think their ceiling, you know, especially if it takes Phoenix a little while to mesh, I think their ceiling is they could go to the finals, but I think their floor they can't figure out their defense or if their you know role players kind of get a little too nervous or whatever down the stretch they might not even make the playoffs i mean they're currently the eight seed right now they're like two games out of fourth or whatever but like they are not in a position to feel comfortable right now so you got to win a lot of games down the stretch just to get into the playoffs uh but once you get there as long as they avoid phoenix until at least like the third round somehow I'm feeling really, really good about their chances in any series. But, of course, in order to feel good, they have to get there first. And that in itself is going to be a big challenge. That, yes, the West is such a gauntlet. I mean, you just look at the teams right now. I mean, you have the Nuggets, the Grizzlies, the Clippers, the Suns, the Warriors, the Mavs. I feel like the fans of those teams believe that that they can win a championship this year. They can at least make the finals. And, and the truth is, two of those teams are going to be out in the first round. So, I mean, it's going to be a gauntlet for the Mavs. But, yeah, I mean, if, if they do avoid the Suns until the conference finals, I, I do think you're right. I think there's I'm a, I think I'm a little bit higher on the Mavericks than, than other people outside of Dallas. Uh, just because I think if you have Luka and Kyrie, I mean, that can win you a series, right? That, that literally, like you said, those two players can win you a series. So... Um, they'll definitely be exciting to watch. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on uh, and for answering all my questions really well. Uh, you gave us some great insight into the Mavericks during this exciting time. Hey, thank you for having me again, man. And if, if it's not going to be the Mavs this year, I do want Giannis to get a second one. I love Giannis, love the Bucks, love Drew Holiday. Really, really like Chris Middleton, Brooke Lopez, Bobby Portis. Shout out my, my fellow Bobby. So if it's not going to be the Mavs, I do hope it is the Bucks again. I really appreciate that, dude. I hope so too. Maybe we'll get a Mavs Bucks final. Uh, we'll see. Oh, dude, that would be that would be epic. Let's go. Yeah, I'm let's down. Do it. Sign me up. <laughs> let's do it. Thanks so much, man. Thank you.